Hello, everybody, and welcome to Girls Camp. I'm your host, Haley Rawl, and today I am joined yet again <laughs> by the wonderful John Bentley Rawl. Hello. Have we talked about your first name being John, actually? No, we haven't, actually. On the records of the church and of the state? We haven't. My first name's John, J-O-N, for those who care. I've gone by my middle name ever, I guess, my whole life, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm excited you're joining me. Thanks for coming on the podcast for round three. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've been on here. Yeah, you've been begging. I've been pleading. Begging when can pleading. I come? When can I come? When will you have me back? I am having you here to help me unpack and react to crazy Bishop stories. Mm. So I was already telling you this, but last week I did the sex stuff, kind of the heavier, more serious stuff. And today... There's a little bit of seriousness, but mostly it's just weird, crazy, kind of random stories. So we're going to talk about those. But before we do that, I wanted to do a little campfire chat. And I wanted to ask you, because I feel like there's so much, obviously, that goes on behind the scenes of podcasting, especially with the whole post-Mormon thing. I don't know. I guess I just feel like this has been a pretty big journey for the both of us for me to be doing the Girls Camp podcast. And I don't feel like I talk that much about the behind the scenes really on the actual podcast, more so like kind of the emotional roller coaster of it, what goes into it with our family and our marriage and all that sort of thing. So I wanted to ask you from your perspective, what it's been like for you to have me be doing this podcast. A lot of emotions or a lot of things to say, really. I am incredibly inspired uh, for multiple reasons. Inspired that there's a huge community, everyone listening, and in less than a year and three quarters of a year that that like have latched onto this podcast. And I think that's one of the most incredible things to see. After my mom saying she thought no one would listen. Yeah, which is, <laughs> well, I I mean... We all had that thought in our mind, right? We didn't. I had no idea how many, yeah. how this was was gonna go. Like, I wanted to support you. You were passionate about it, and honestly, I trust you. I think whatever you do, you're gonna do it well. And it's pretty clear that this was this one was gonna work, and it was clear immediately that it was needed, and that was really cool to see. Mm. Yeah, and. You've been grinding. You've literally dedicated probably, you also work a full-time job and you've been dedicating just as much time, if not more time to this podcast, probably more. And it's been hard fucking work. I've seen you grind. I've seen you cry. I've seen you like have the roller coaster of emotions through the whole thing. And so many people message you all the time and and it's it's beautiful to to hear everyone's stories that you and you only tell me a very like a fraction of them you know so it's like really incredible to hear and see the behind the scenes of what people are i don't know feeling and how they're reacting and like their stories but it's been incredible to see and hear and um get a peek inside of that 
and you are kind of this <clears throat> magnet to that. And it's been therapeutic in a lot of ways because it's, we've had our own, like, we've had our own little community. So of us leaving the church, we've had our friends, right, who are in the same stage as us. And thankfully, we had people to go through it with. Mm. I think a lot of people out there don't have that. And it's clear through, like, people's comments and through, like, the the attention that it's needed. And it's super special what's happening. So I feel blessed to be a part of it. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> wow. Thank yeah. you. That was really, really sweet. I feel like I maybe I'm not going to be able to keep that in now because it maybe sounds like I was fishing for like a big fat compliment, but I appreciate that wonderful compliment. Thank you. Yeah. I was thinking you were going to speak more to just the, I don't know. I, I just feel like you're the only one who really sees the ins and outs of like more of the emotional roller coaster of it. And oh, yeah, there's so much to talk about there. Yeah. But I mean, thank you for saying all of that. I really appreciate it. I hope that that didn't seem like I was like, hey, Bentley, come on. And <laughs> no, not at all. Me I, I think I don't get very many opportunities to praise you publicly. And it's, I think, important for you to hear that you're you're doing something important and you need to keep going despite all the haters, you know? Um, so Yeah, thank you. I really do appreciate that. I think it is just kind of a crazy thing to be trying to grow something. And yeah, as I said, it feels like so much of the time, it's just me with you as my support, kind of seeing what really goes into the kind of daily battle in some ways of doing this. And I don't mean to say that in the sense of, I mean, I love doing this. It's so fun for me to do this. You know that more than anyone, how fulfilling this has been to me. But just the kind of mental game of talking about this stuff, of deciding again and again that I want to keep talking about it, deciding how I want to talk about it. I mean, any venture, as well you know, and anyone knows who's done some sort of public endeavor of any sort, it's just really vulnerable. It's really scary. I've never done anything even remotely similar to this. And so it's just been a really interesting personal journey too to realize how much I think I've changed in course of the podcast as far as even just like getting a thick skin and mm -hmm. learning to trust myself and just figuring out, yeah, you know, who I am. Yeah, it's actually, I think you touch on a point that's super important for everyone that's going through their like a faith journey, but... um you have to take a step into the dark and be vulnerable in order to improve as a human being and to step into like yourself more. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. It's been beautiful to see you change. I think you've grown so much as a human over this last year because you've been stepping and been con into the dark so consistently and you've been discovering more and more of who you are throughout that. And it's been really cool. And I think like I, in my personal career, I work in the film industry. I'm a cinematographer and I'm trying to like, as artists, we have to do that in order to grow. And oftentimes like it's so hard to, even like though I'm like working and making money and do, having a career in it, I'm not satisfied because 
I oftentimes find myself not willing to step into the dark or not actually doing that. So seeing you doing that has actually been really motivating for me to do it myself in my own career. Yeah, I no. think the the battle of any public-facing pursuit, particularly if it's artistic or creative in some way, is just failing on a scale where people can watch you. And I would say you're perfectionist. You have perfectionist tendencies, I would say. And I think I do as well, maybe not as much as you. But yeah, just learning to try something with eyes on you is hard and can feel really embarrassing and has felt really embarrassing and really vulnerable. And I think that it's such a scary thing, but I think it's a, it can be really, really beneficial for growth when you just have to continue to put yourself out there, you know? So yeah, I appreciate those thoughts. Thanks for speaking to that. You're welcome. Thanks for being the boys camp half of the girls camp podcast. Yeah. Our half's much smaller than your half for sure. <laughs> um, there's some boys. 10%. Oh, there's definitely there. Yeah. About 10%. I'll I'm here. If you're uh, one of the 9% of the men listening, we love you. Thanks for being here. Okay. Let's talk about bishops. Do you have, I've shared a lot of my Bishop trauma on the girls camp podcast. Have you any Bishop trauma to share? Any bishop stories, crazy bishops, not necessarily bishop trauma, just any bishop stories. Did you think of any? I actually don't have any. I don't know. Obviously, the church just like kind of worked for me as a... Did you ever have to do confession interviews, really? I did, but they weren't... I mean, of course, they were terrifying, and I felt so nervous about it and f- and to be honest like my issues are more about the doctrine of the church rather than like the bishop my experiences with my bishops weren't w- you ever. never just had any like no bad experiences really thankfully no but yeah again like i honestly when when we got married and like you told me yours i was like damn all right like that was very different than mine but like yeah i can definitely see that being real and i could definitely see if i was a f- woman or a young woman growing up my bishops doing that to the other young women in my ward you're just were a male so even though it's not appropriate and it's still probably really uncomfortable not to say that confessing sexual sin is not uncomfortable and inappropriate and problematic for a young male to do to a male bishop but it is probably different and better in a lot of ways i think a lot of men in the church are lucky or it's not so much luck it's just circumstance. I'm excited for you to listen to last week's episode because it's really crazy. I don't think I fully wrapped my head around this, but how differently multiple, multiple, multiple stories were about a couple doing something sexual together and going to bishops and the woman getting a way harsher punishment and a lot more shame than the young man in the situation. Interesting. Which I don't think I had fully, it makes sense, but I don't think I'd ever really wrapped my head around not only how different that experience might be based on gender, but also how I think a lot of times the young men just got off a lot easier than the women did. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely can see that too, especially like, I mean, I, I, I do think a large part of that ties in to or is related to like okay if there was a woman that they were confessing to they would understand the girl more probably Mm. you know 
Well, it's just less inappropriate. Yeah, it's less inappropriate. And like it makes it so much more traumatizing for these women talking about their like private sexual experiences with an old man that's like almost like trained, quite literally trained to ask them those deep questions, which is totally weird yeah (laughs) and traumatizing i can definitely see that as a man i was asked those questions but they actually didn't go that deep with me Mm -hmm. they would ask was it uh, over the clothes or under the clothes and i would just be like over was it over or under sometimes under (laughs) but like and then i I never did anything crazy worth postponing my mission you know like or whatever yeah i want to talk to someone who had more of those repercussions because i can imagine that would be super super difficult i wish i had (laughs) just kidding (laughs) why (laughs) what do you mean no i'm i just wish i wasn't mormon as a teenager is like what i'm saying oh like like you were too mormon i was i I wish i was fucking around more yeah and just experimenting and growing as a teenager rather than just being sexually oppressed repressed Sure, repressed, oppressed. It's all the same in my mind. (laughs) Different, but yeah, sexually (laughs) repressed. Okay, well, let's jump into the Bishop's stories. I'm just going to read these to you, and we shall discuss. Okay, my mom grew up in Southern California. Their bishop got up one Sunday and over the pulpit released himself and publicly admitted to having an affair with a woman from the ward, whom he named over the pulpit. (laughs) What an exciting testimony meeting, though. Or I guess that wasn't a testimony meeting, but an exciting Sunday. I wish I was there. That There's no greater reality TV than that. Honestly. There really isn't. And going to church, expecting the usual, and Bishop gets up and names, by name, names the woman over the pulpit. Man, I feel bad for that woman. I know, me too. This one got me thinking about, did I ever tell you about, I'm sure I've told you, but my first ward my first area in my mission, how much affair drama there was in that ward. No, you never did. I never told you. I don't even remember. Svicka? Yeah, but I might have to cut that out. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, that's the word. A lot of people were, were related to each other, like brothers and sisters and in-laws and stuff. But the not the current bishop that you know, but there was like a bishop who was still in the ward. And when he was bishop, he had an affair with the young women's president and they were then married. So when I got into the ward, those two were married to each other. But it was the bishop and the the former bishop and the former young women's president who had had an affair and married each other. And then their exes, who they had cheated on, were both still in the ward. That's so fucking nuts. It was crazy. So I remember I was like in the ward for a few weeks. And then my companion one day was like, oh, yeah, did you know? And there was so many dynamics like that. That was the biggest one. But it was like so-and-so is related to so-and-so. And and because the bishop and the young women's president also had relatives in the ward. So it was just a whole big dramatic mess. But everyone was still in the ward and they would just like go to church together. I kind of love that. I kind of love that they're just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to like do what I want to do and despite being under the public eye. you know. Yeah, like, I mean, everybody knew, but yeah. they just went. So yeah, I think that is not necessarily uncommon that just affairs within wards, I think, happen probably more often than we think. That's crazy. Okay, story number two. 
I am currently deconstructing the church and learning so much from your podcast and other podcasts and research. Nice. I recently asked to be released from my calling because I felt that I could not teach what I currently am not sure I believe. I still am active in attendance, but felt that it was best to just attend for now. My bishop called and came over with his two counselors and basically said my next step after being released was leaving the church. He didn't even listen to me and at one point said he was not going to release me because I did not know what I was doing. I sat and explained I have no intention of fully leaving and never did when I requested to be released. His counselors backed what the bishop said and basically told me no until I insisted and pressured them into agreeing it was for the best. So she said she wanted to get released and her bishop came over with the two counselors and basically said, no, you can't get released because then you'll leave the church. Man, it's like they know. It's just so (laughs) shitty to be like, no, this is a free job that I am volunteering to do. She's being honest and saying, I feel disingenuine doing this job. I, therefore, am going to say I'm going to step back from this because that's what feels right to me. And then to have three men come over to her house and say, actually, no, you're wrong and we're not going to let you do that. I just think it's so counterproductive that when people choose to be honest with where they're at in the church and maybe say, tell a bishop they're having doubts or say, I would rather be released from my calling, that this is the response because it feels so much worse to pile on the pressure as opposed to being like, thanks for telling us. We're so happy you're here. You're always welcome. Appreciate you being honest. We were just talking to someone that we both know about a story where a bishop was kind of doing the same sort of dance where they could sense that someone was doubting or not coming as much. And instead of just like showing love, they just go crazy. Yeah. I don't know why people feel like, well, first of all, I, whenever I had doubts, I didn't talk to the bishop. He was the last person I would trust to talk to about mm-hmm. my doubts. Yeah, true. Because I was like, that guy's going to try to convince me to come back or to like convince me of their perspective. I don't trust, honestly, all bishops out there. I wouldn't ever trust. With, not a single one? Not with like my doubts. Hmm, interesting. Because like, even if like I respected them as humans, like I haven't met one bishop that like, Unless they actually ended up leaving later down the line with that my, you would feel safe to yeah, share. Yeah, that I would feel safe to with, share yeah. share anything. Well, yeah, to your point, it's just like I don't know though. They, to me, it's like that should be part of the role is being able to understand like spiritually where people are in the ward and show love and support regardless. So it's really shitty that that's just I know. Maybe, maybe it's just the, the culture of the church in the United States. Maybe it's different elsewhere. I don't know about that. Yeah, I felt bad for this person. I'm sorry. And good job for insisting that you be released. So did she finally get released? Mm -hmm. They told me no until she insisted and pressured them into agreeing. Okay, this one is sad. When I was in high school, I lived in a ward with a really big youth program. I had so many friends in the ward. My family was going through some rough stuff. My dad was an alcoholic and was often gone or fighting with my mom, and my home really wasn't safe or happy, so being with my ward family was really good for me at the time. We ended up getting evicted from our house, and I ended up living in a motel 20 minutes away until we could find somewhere to live. I drove myself to church and activities for a few weeks until the bishop approached me and asked me to transfer my records. I told him I was homeless and had nowhere to go, and all he told me was to use the LDS meeting house locator to find what ward my motel was in. It became very apparent to me that I was no longer welcome and what felt like the only safe place for me at such a dark time of my life. My heart, man... I'm sorry. I'm really Just sorry. Just let her go to your ward. Oh, 
Fuck that guy. Just the stickler bishops. Golly. And like when people are so specific about boundaries too, like I, I experienced that all the time on my mission too. Like people would be more interested in like the people in the ward that I was serving in, but I couldn't teach them because they were in a different boundary. Uh-huh. Like they're strict about that stuff. Yeah. Like why? Why don't you just like go where you have community? Yeah. Let people go, especially a young girl yeah. who is homeless. This makes me so mad too, just because I feel like the, I talked about last week, the whole like bishop roulette thing where so much of your Mormon experience kind of depends on your bishop. And I think that also is the case when it comes to charity and like what the church is willing to give of its resources, where different bishops handle that stuff differently. So in some wards, they're willing to give more or give more allowance for families in need or for people in need. And then in some wards, they're not. And that really sucks, too, to feel like a luck of the draw thing when it comes to being able to rely on the church for like actual tangible support and a resource. And it just makes me really sad that there's these really letter of the law bishops that are just like, tough luck. Sorry, figure it out. Yeah, I honestly feel like I did get lucky, too, with my bishops. I didn't. Well, at least I didn't know of any drama happening Mm -hmm. in the area where I grew up. You had, I feel like, a really good ward community, and you lived in the same ward almost your entire upbringing. Yeah. And I feel like it was tight-knit, and seems like it was pretty positive. Yeah, it was actually pretty pretty great. I also wasn't, like, hardcore. I mean, I was super, I was active in the church, but I also, and I went to Mutual and everything every week, but I wasn't, I don't know, I didn't, like... My parents weren't really in like leadership roles. And so I didn't feel the pressure to like Mm. do all these things like a lot of other people do. And I also had good friends. Yeah. And so I had, I had a solid group of friends that, that really carried me through it and, and who I'm really close to today still. And most of the core group were still tight. Yeah. And like, a big difference. And it makes a huge difference. And And I, I, I think you underestimate how much that, means and yeah yeah. i think too like i've just been thinking about so much like the layers of privilege we talk about this all the time on the podcast but in the mormon experience and just thinking like we never had to my family kind of did but you know your mormon experience is going to be shaped in so many different ways and one of those ways is if you need to rely on the church for like financial support or for food or whatever. And a lot of people have experiences where they could have used that but weren't granted those resources in the ways that they should have been. But some people, on the other hand, were given a lot of resources by the church and had bishops who were very generous with the church's resources, you know? So I just feel like that's always an interesting thing to think about how that shapes a Mormon experience. Yeah. But just made me really sad for this person whose bishop just couldn't let it slide in an instance like really sad okay there was one bishop on my mission that would take any opportunity he could to make sacrament meeting about him and his family often the meeting went over an hour because he would do multiple musical numbers to show off his piano skills (laughs) oh my gosh would that be you if you were a bishop? Probably. <laughs> I mean, I... You would bring your guitar and jam out if you were a bishop. I probably would. I probably would. Even though I suck at... I'm, like, not that good. I remember doing that kind of on my mission. Like, every week I was... 
I would just play piano because I was in Mexico and they, no one knew how to play the piano in Mexico. So they would just like put their iPhone to the speaker and like play the hymn music <laughs> from the like LDS.org. From the, yeah. The and instrumental track. And it just wasn't bringing the spirit. So I like played a shitty piano because it sounded so much better. So I, yes, that would be me. That's an incredible story. Yeah. Just like multiple musical numbers to show off their own piano skills. Musical yeah. numbers. That actually might be a good episode alone. Oh, man. Because so many musical numbers, like, bless their hearts. They just weren't that good. I know. You know, when people would get up to sing and it was just like... So bad. So bad. Which is fine. I'm happy for them. And, like, God knows I'd rather a musical number to, you know... Liven it up a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. The musical numbers... I actually thought of one story. This does not involve a bishop, but the mission story of you playing the piano and getting chastised. Oh, yeah. This was crazy. I was in a smaller ward. I was, I think I was assistant to the president, actually, at the time. Oh. I was AP. Is that relevant to the story? Or? It is because my mission president, it was like right next to the office and whatever. Maybe it's not relevant. You can cut this out, but I was an <laughs> AP. <laughs> But so I was in a I was in a ward, and Elder Piper, I think his name, Ooh, should look him up. of the seventy, he was coming to s- just visit the area, and I got word that he was coming to our ward, and so I was like, okay, like how do I make this nice? I want this to be a good experience for him. In this ward, in this ward in particular, no one knew how to play the piano, so I would play it every Sunday just because I whatever and so i was in there and i don't know how to read piano music i just kind of play it by ear and so i'd practice and i would learn it by ear and so i would would do a little bit of variations to like the the musical notes and so like to like do 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 yeah like the full yeah exactly yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) and which is nice. Which is nice. It sounded beautiful. It was like great pre-pre. Is it prelude music? Oh, you were playing the prelude music. I was playing yeah, prelude yeah. music. Jazzing it up a little Just bit. Just jazzing it. Yeah. And so I'm playing the prelude music and people come in. The 70 comes and sits on the stand. I'm up there playing the music. I play it the whole, whole time and like all the hymns and everything. And they give their messages and all their stuff. Right after, like, I shake one of the seventies, the other seventies hand, and he was like, "Oh, that sounded beautiful," or whatever, it sounded good. And thank you for doing that, Elder. And and then my mission president and his wife, or whatever. But I I hustle to the door so that like I can like be at the door, like thanking everyone that coming. And so I I'm there waiting, and then the elder comes up to me. He's like, "Elder," in English, and everyone else just doesn't speak English, obviously in Mexico. He's like, "Don't you ever." deviate from the notes the musical like notes that distracts from the spirit i was like thinking i was doing such a really good thing providing the spirit i actually was at least i thought i was and here he was hammering me down for whatever trying to like use his power over me because i was doing something i thought was good i was just weren't it's the letter of the law thing it's like who gives a fuck and that's if you're like jazzing it up a little bit and where is that in the doctrine? Yeah. You know, where is that in the handbook that I was supposed to know? Yeah. And also you know? a missionary. It makes me so mad because I think of you as a missionary, just doing your best, being a sweet, happy guy, willing to play the piano, even though you don't actually know how to read music. And then instead of it being like, thanks, elder, like the first guy, 
He makes you feel so bad about it. I know. And my mission president's wife, Sister Morales, hermana, yo te quiero. Um, she comes up to me after because she like, uh, I think she had heard it. She's like, mm. Elder, don't listen to him. Mm. I thought it was beautiful. Good. I was like, I love you. That Aww, was great. I'm glad she said that. Yeah. Yeah. That story's always bothered me a lot. Yeah. Okay, this one kind of reminds me of that. I was asked to give a talk in one of my BYU wards. I was the ward's social media mission leader, absolutely horrible calling, and this required me to be at ward council every Sunday, so I knew the bishop fairly well, and I didn't like him very much. He was an older, kind of harsh man who was a thousand percent sexist, but whatever. I gave my talk first and went for about 15 minutes. I was told to go 10, but I always go over. The guy who went before me went for like 25 minutes, and his talk was mostly just his attempt at stand-up comedy, lol, so I didn't feel too bad going five minutes over. This gave my male co-chair very little time to talk, which he was actually happy about. After sacrament ends, as usual, the bishop and bishop brick members come up to us and shake our hands. My bishop offers glowing praise for the first speaker and then turns to me, doesn't shake my hand, and says, what about 10 minutes did you not understand? Dead serious and said in front of the other two male speakers and the two other bishopric members. It was horrifying, demeaning, and so embarrassing. He said nothing else to me and I just laughed uncomfortably and everyone around me also just laughed uncomfortably while the bishop cracked no smile or laugh, just dead serious. One of his counselors did come up to me after and kind of apologize for the bishop and congratulate me on my talk. Overall, a horrible experience. I don't know how other people felt about their college bishops, but I disliked all of mine. Same shit. So lame. Well, also with some sexism thrown in the oh, mix. Oh, for in this sure. One. But literally can't let a woman speak five more minutes than her allotted time without making a comment about it. After someone willingly writes a talk and gives it in sacrament meeting. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So lame. One time I, I took a, on my farewell talk, I like stepped back and like mid talk. I don't know why I referenced Instagram and I stepped back mid talk took a picture of of the congregation and then went back to the the mic and my mission or my, my mission president the bishop was he just was like like so shocked that you i know that. and so shocked but like i i got everyone laughing and i just loved it i just loved poking, go, poking the bear a little bit did you go so over on your home probably i can imagine <laughs> okay I had a YSA bishop who thought green smoothies were the answer to everything. Struggling with pornography or masturbation? Green smoothies. Struggling with self-esteem or mental health? Green smoothies. Struggling with your testimony? Green smoothies. Not one mention of prayer or scripture study or any of the primary answers. As long as your breakfast has a good, healthy portion of greens, you're good. Consider yourself clean. I kind of like that approach. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's better than the other approaches. Yeah, it's like, but I don't give a fuck. I don't want to hear about your problems. Just drink a green smoothie and you're cool. I imagine this bishop, like, <laughs> who's the guy in Parks and Rec? Do you know the guy I'm talking about? Oh, yes. The yes, really yes. fit guy? Yes. What's his name? I can't remember. He's his the name. boss, though. Yes, yeah. the boss. Yeah. That is super, super healthy. That's what I'm imagining. Because there's some YSA bishops that are kind of that vibe, kind of young, kind of hip like really fit. Yeah. And this is giving that same energy. Oh, 100%. Yeah. But I mean, green smoothies are good for you. So keeping a lot of chastity is better for you. <laughs> okay. 
Half of my ward growing up were families who were well-off financially, and the other half were families in low-income housing. This led to some serious clicks and judgment. It was so bad that the low-income neighbors wouldn't be invited to ward activities. They were told to hold their own. The youth were specifically told that they could not cross the street to that side of the neighborhood, and the young women were not allowed to babysit the children in those families. The fact that the bishop allowed this to happen is disgusting enough. After moving away, I learned that the bishop wanted to increase the numbers in his ward so badly that he went around to the low-income families and offered to pay their bills if they would get baptized. They didn't need to attend church. They just needed to be a member on record. These people would get baptized and then get excluded by the ward. Absolutely sick. That is so fucked. I like, I'm speechless. Isn't that crazy? Man. I know. I feel like they're... I mean, I'm curious where this was because something like this would probably, I mean, maybe the financial. I could um, see that happening. Yeah, I can see that happening in Utah. But this sounds like an out-of-state situation where they're like trying to just get a lot of people on record. So going around literally preying on people who can't afford to pay their bills to try and get them to be baptized. And then like they said, okay, then they're in the ward and they're not even accepted in the ward. They have to hold their own freaking activities. That's so insane. I know. I hated that one. Okay, my bishop made me attend the seven-step recovery slash forgiveness program the church put on each Sunday for being, quote, addicted to bad relationships and said I couldn't take the sacrament until I completed the course, LOL, LOL. (laughs) Addicted to bad relationships? What does that even mean? (laughs) Just like people who chronically date, like people who are bad for them. Addicted to bad relationships went to the full-blown, like, church's version of the AA 12-step recovery program. Oh my gosh, you're addicted to bad relationships? I was laughing at this one because I'm like, mm, I'm sure there's a lot of girlies out there that might benefit from from the seven. a recovery program. <laughs> Not really, but how crazy is that? Oh man, that's nuts. Maybe I want to go through it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about time I I uh, get like, over wait, some... um, So, where do I find that? Available for... Is that just available online? (laughs) Do you have to sign up for that or is it free? (laughs) Okay, let's read a few more. Um, Okay, this one's about infertility. So it's close to home. I was serving as Relief Society president and asked to be released. I'd been in the calling for multiple years and was struggling with infertility. I was trying to take a few things off my plate to have less stress in hopes of finally getting pregnant. My bishop told me that if I stayed in the calling, that God would guarantee a pregnancy. I felt so manipulated and coerced, but also so guilty at the same time. I asked still to be released and got pregnant a month after being released. Man, I feel like I can relate to that a little bit Mm. more just like i feel like we you going through infertility well we 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 it was like right at the time when we were like considering leaving the church right Mm -hmm. in san francisco yeah overlapped a lot and like i remember feeling like a little bit like oh but what if making decisions based off of the what if that whole logic around i think a lot of missionaries face this on a daily um like oh if i did if i woke up five minutes yeah, late a literal moment by moment basis if i woke yeah. up five minutes late then like oh then i'm god's not gonna bless me and and i'm not gonna find the golden person on the street that is ingrained into us as like i think mormons active mormons right and we would operate out of this fear of god and i wonder if that's like what fear of god is i 
am so happy that I'm free of that mm-hmm. because like really there was a reason why you were experiencing infertility. And uh, that reason may, in a lot of cases is unknown for a lot of people, right? But there's got to be some sort of reason that, but it's like a medical, a medical reason. reason. Yeah. And for you it was endometriosis. And we figured it out. And thankfully, like science prevailed. And I, that's not to say like, I do believe that like you can manifest and like believe things and like will things to happen in a magical spiritual sense. I do believe there's power there. I'm sorry for this person who experienced that. I'm also proud of them, happy that she got pregnant. Like that's pretty cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. After yeah. she got released. Yeah, I, I was thinking that same thing. I was thinking about how powerful it is. I was talking to a friend about this the other day of like kind of similar to what we used to say as Mormons, like the best thing you can be is just an example, you know, just living the gospel and being so happy doing it. But I think it's really interesting. And I think a lot of active members right now, as a lot of people are leaving or have left, are kind of going through this mental, they're kind of having to process like, oh, my kid has left and it's been three years and nothing terrible has happened to them. And they're actually doing really well and they seem really happy and they're not addicted to alcohol and they're not in financial ruin and they got pregnant and, 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 and it is kind of really challenging the narrative that if you leave the church, everything goes to shit and they realize, yeah. oh, maybe it's not actually about that. Uh, let's end on this one because this is an interesting note and might make a little bit of a bishop apologist out of me. Not really. But someone wrote in and said, I know this isn't what you were looking for, but I was thinking lately how selfish the church is by putting so much work and pressure on bishops, which most aren't qualified to do anyway, i.e. counseling therapy. My dad was a bishop when I was little, and it really hurt my family growing up. With him owning his own business and being bishop, he was very absent in our lives during that time, and it definitely had lasting effects on our family and parents' relationship. This, okay, the thing I said about the bishop apologist thing is just because it really is so much work to be a bishop. So much work, so much energy, so much time. And as this person said, I think it's really unfair. And I've seen a lot of bishops who really struggle and are really overwhelmed and stressed with how much work it is. And there are some bishops who are obviously good people trying to do their best, trying to like magnify their calling and serve. And it can be massively overwhelming. And guess who always suffers the most? The wife and, and the family, kids. Yeah. yeah. And like you see it when you go to a ward and the bishop is up on the stand and the mom is sitting in the pews with her like six kids drowning. And then the bishop has to go to tithing settlement all day and do meetings and stuff. Until like 6 p.m. on, a, on their day off. Yes, on their one single day off when they should be with their family. Yeah. And then they get calls in the middle of the night. Like being a bishop's really involved. They'll get calls in the middle of the night and people rely on them and kind of like take advantage of them. And I just feel like that's one of the ironies I've always noticed too with any calling, but with bishops specifically, is that they're asking bishops to do all of this free labor and it's the family who suffers. And for a family-oriented church, it's really hypocritical. I agree. I agree. And I feel... I have two thoughts. I think that's why paid clergy is like actually pretty, pretty incredible. I went to like a big, like mega church recently for work and shopping around. Yeah. I was just, you know, checking out other, you know, (laughs) religions. No, I definitely walked away. Not, not interested in, um, 
joining joining church no and but i did see the power in like in a paid clergy because like they actually had a seemed like a happy family Mm. man like a good balance yeah it's a job it's a job they're getting paid for and the sermon was so much better than like what we would get on sundays but those mega church people are getting paid a lot yeah they make a shit ton of money so there's another maybe problematic element at play but yes i see i see what you're saying and the other thought i had was i think the church takes advantage so much of i was just talking to kylie katich today actually Mm -hmm. about how having a purpose, something to do, something to like basically feel needed and wanted and like and important. Yeah. How much that provides like value as humans, you know? It doesn't necessarily matter if it's making money or not. Like I built shelves in our closet the other day and I felt so fulfilled because like, oh like I did something. And I feel like being and serving in the church, whatever calling it is, I think especially as a bishop, you see tangible evidence that you're helping someone. And so... It's a lot of service. It's a lot of service, and it's a lot of um, sacrifice, but there's a direct response, emotional response. You can see your efforts, like your fruits of your labor, a lot in that role. And and that's how they, they hook, line, line, and sinker you, you know? And that's why they give everyone a calling. In the church. And a lot of really involved callings, too. Yeah, like, we see a lot of people close to us serve as Relief Society president or whatever, and, like, how much that... (laughs) My mom. (laughs) Yeah, how much that, like... Yeah, her calling is crazy. How much that brings... How much time and energy that is. Yeah. And, like, though I admire, like, the willingness of all the people who are willing to do it, I wonder how willing they are and how much of its willingness versus obligation. Totally. Well, and to your point, like, I think, yeah, that's one of the complicated things. I really do think one of the things that works really well for the church when it works really well is callings because it gives people purpose. It gives people a place. It connects people to people they wouldn't otherwise be connected with. You know, if you're teaching the young women or if you're in relief society and you can befriend people who are older than you or, whatever, different than you. And I think that's really beneficial in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. I think it does give people purpose and meaning. And I think that that can be a really good thing. But to your point, I also think that it can be a really overwhelming thing. I think a lot of people feel really obligated in their callings. They don't feel like they can say no. Or even another family member of ours who is very busy and has a lot going on in their life, they have a pretty involved calling. And you just think, man, are we just adding pressure and stress to people, making them do unpaid labor? Most of the church operates on completely unpaid labor, even though they have $100 billion at least. Yes, and I think it's important to to point out that willingness does not equate qualified. Yeah, that too. I think like, yes, I'm willing to be a mission president, or at least I was when I was in the church. No longer am I. But I was willing to be a bishop and like do these things, but I am not a trained therapist. I'm not a good, I'm not a counselor. I can provide my social worker. No, I'm, I don't know how to handle very sensitive, sensitive um, situations, but all these people are Mm -hmm. and they're expected to understand and handle it well. So like, to be honest, like that's to your point, like I, that's to the last point, I, it makes sense why, a lot of shit happens with bishops because they're not qualified. Yeah. And that's really the heart of the issue. 
and putting people, particularly like these men in power, mm-hmm. powerful positions that aren't qualified or trained and making like yeah. lasting impact negatively. Yes. At best, people. doling out life advice that is unsound and yeah. at worst being predatory or being manipulative. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's a recipe for problems oftentimes. And I think like I talked to my mom and sisters about this on last two weeks ago when they came on. Like, again, I, I do want to acknowledge that I think it can feel like a really fulfilling and purposeful thing for people. And I think people find a lot of joy in their callings. Primary is a good example. And I think that's okay. I don't think it's all bad and wrong. But I do think there's a lot of ethical things that come into play when it comes to bishops specifically. And I appreciated that person pointing out one of them, which is like, yeah, if you're asking someone to give a lot of time and energy for zero pay, someone's going to suffer, not only that person, but usually more so than anyone, their family. And I've seen that with so many families. I've seen that within my extended family. I've seen that with friends growing up where there's a lot of anger and resentment because they actually see their dad giving way more time and energy to other people, even like other youth yeah, and not them. And that really sucks. And I think more than I would anything, yeah, totally. And more than anything, it's like, why are we taking people who are already at capacity away from their families even more? Yeah, and honestly, my parents never really like held those higher callings um, or more time con- like t- and mm, more involved. Yeah, I am. I never thought about it until now, but like I think I benefited so much from that. I had my mom's time, my dad's time. And, and just a more casual relationship with the church generally, yeah. I think, which was beneficial to It instance. was. It definitely was. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to say about Mormon bishops. I'm sure we will revisit this topic again because there's plenty more stories where that came from. But it's been, yeah, just interesting to reflect on like how much comes up around the bishop thing. And unfortunately, you never had your shot at Mormon bishophood. I know. I'm a little bummed. <laughs> little bummed I didn't have the chance. You would have been a good one. Only because I had a willing heart. <laughs> but And a lot of faith. Was I qualified? Honestly, you wouldn't. I think you're probably more qualified because you at least have like some sense of social awareness, which many Mormon bishops seem to lack. But Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, that's a unique compliment. I appreciate it. Maybe I'll... I'll keep that in mind and if I ever rejoin. Yeah, yeah. you should. Yeah. Well, thanks, Bentley. I love you. For joining to talk about Mormon bishops. I love you. Thanks for listening to me. I realized listening. it got so dark. It's so dark if you're watching because it's daylight savings. I know. It's, so it's as dark as it would be an hour later. It's pitch black. Yeah, sorry if you're watching. Uh, I know, I'm embarrassed. Break. I literally do this for work. I'm a, Bentley's a goddamn cinematographer. <laughs> and the lighting right now just sucks. So stay tuned. We're going to... We're finishing our basement and yeah, we're, we're going to work on a podcast studio. We're working on a podcast studio, which will have consistent lighting, which I'm happy about. Yeah. that's what gets Maybe me. multiple angles. That's what gets you revved up about the podcast. Is- yeah, I know. We just need, um, we need your money. <laughs> Give us money. Help us fund it. <laughs> on that note, like, follow, subscribe, smash that subscribe button. Yes. Keep listening. Keep sharing. Thank you so much for being here and talking about big bad Mormon bishops. Love you so much. Happy camping. Bye. Bye. G I R L S C.
girls can 